finishing up this series of loving well, and, and, and it's really fascinating as we read about this. I think we know, obviously intellectually, um, that there's no way that we can be with Jesus in heaven when we die, as Royce was saying, if we decide we're not going to love well. You know, one of the things I was thinking of as Royce was sharing was, um, and, and this is something that I really, you know, really strongly encourage each and every one of us to, to pay attention to is... Um, just a conversion experience will not get us to heaven. I, I want to be really, really clear about that because I think what can happen is, is we can become very apathetic when we say, oh, no, no, because I was baptized into Christ and I was baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, then that's what matters. And that's clearly not, okay? The truth of the matter is, is there's no way. We, we spend so much time trying to get our minds wrapped around baptism for the forgiveness of sins, but then on the other hand, if I say, but I won't live for your mission, and still be okay. We won't be okay. But I won't love my brother. We won't be okay. All right. You know the passion that sometimes you share with people about baptism? This is what we need to be dealing with when it comes to loving well. Because there's no way, there is no salvation outside of us going, I won't do that. Okay. Here's the one thing that has come to my mind, even as I was preparing for this lesson, is the depth of addiction I have for sin. And, and we all have it. We, we all have it, okay? And it's that, it's that idea of when we try to wrap our minds around loving well, oftentimes we try to do it in the context of sin, okay? We Christianize worldly love. And then we go, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to love selfishly still. Like what we're addicted to really is loving people in a way that we get something from them. That's what the world has taught us since probably fifth grade or fourth grade or third grade or ninth grade, if you're kind of a late bloomer or something like that, is, is what, what the world's definition of love has taught us is there's always something in it for you. All right. And here's the truth of the matter is, is when you talk to somebody who's addicted, they don't see their addiction. Like, have you ever seen the show Intervention before? Has anybody ever watched that? If you haven't watched that, please go and watch an episode because you will think, I, my mind is blown listening to what I'm listening to. Because you'll have, you'll have folks who are addicted to any number of different things and substances and all of these, and it requires something to shake their world. It requires people they love to sit down and really draw a line in the sand. You're, you can't stay this way. You can't live here. You can't do this. And the person that's being like confronted by it is like, I don't understand what your problem is. I've got this. This is no problem, okay? And the truth of the matter is, is we, when we forget we're not addicted to sin or we were addicts to sin, and when we forget that, then it's like, no, I got this. What's the problem? Like loving well, I do love well. But here's a thing that I find in my life, and I'll bet you it's happening in yours too, that to a certain degree, you have Christianized worldly love. Like it's been about, okay, I'm going to love well, but how can I do that in the context of having, getting something from people? Because what we learn in the world is, is, well, you know, I mean, think about it in sixth and seventh and eighth grade. I thought, man, if I can get somebody to like me or fall in love with somebody, that makes me feel better about me. That, that was what was going on in my head is that means that somebody can accept me. That means that somebody likes me, and when somebody likes me, then my life can be better. And you look to other people to make you happy and fulfilled and content, right? And all of these things. 
And that can end up happening as disciples where we just kind of Christianize it, where we're like, no, but now what I'm going to do, I'm going to love people um, in, a, in the Christian sense. Like, I'm going to love people purely. And I'm going to love people and I'm going to try to be good to them. But really what I want is I want them to give me something. Like, I'm taking something from them, taking security from them. You know, it, th- this is a, rea- a, a real case. Like, like as you're a single, like looking to get married, this is where it can happen even in dating, which is like when I find a boyfriend, I'll be fulfilled. That's worldly love. For real, it is. It is Christianizing worldly love. It's because we're going, no, no, no. Jesus isn't really enough. Like if I do it in the church sense, like where I can go find a good Christian boy or girl, because I'm unfulfilled, then, then that's okay to be unfulfilled in the, in, in the church in that manner. And we've just Christianized worldly love. Like, I need someone else to make me happy. I need someone else to fulfill me. I'm looking for somebody else to, to, to make me feel validated or worthy or any of these things. And I just feel like if we're not really careful, we can really fall into that. Because we remember there's one overarching theme through the entire Bible right? There's one overarching theme, and and that theme is what? Is God reconciling us to him through Jesus. That's painted through, and how do you do it? You love him, and you love others, all right? That's as simple as it gets. Every single book in the Bible, all right, is about that. There's not a book that you're like, that's not about reconciling people to God through Jesus. Yes, it is. Is everything in there is for that. It's very intentional, right? As Roy's proud of. I think that's such a word that we have to like wrap our minds around. All right? Because if we don't, then it's just one of those things. It's really easy, as, as Roy said, to become bored and apathetic and all these things because we can be as unfulfilled in the church as you are in the world yeah. when we Christianize worldly love. Right, because it was never meant to be that way. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 13, okay? So what we did last week is we talked um, about, um, well, first of all, the context of the Corinthian church, which was this was a church that it was foreign to them to love. It, it was foreign to them to, um, to come together and not compare. I think the more we read about the Corinthian church, the more we should see is us, right? If, if you've studied Corinthians, boy, I'll tell you, if you've been a Christian longer than five or six months and haven't studied Corinthians, we're missing out on something because you read Corinth and you're going, this is us right here. All right, this is a group of folks that have come together and they are so stained and ingrained with their worldview from where they're coming from and it's all coming into the church, all right? And Paul is teaching them and walking them through this. And so we saw last week is the idea of what love is, right? Like love is patient and love is kind. And, it, you know, you remember one is proactive and one is generally reactive. And I wonder, here's what I want you to think through is, is were you intentional in any way with that this week? Because if there wasn't any intentionality, then when, when and where and how will you become intentional about anything when it comes to following Jesus? Like, if, if it didn't happen, I would say you're really dependent on your conversion experience to be saved. If there's no intentionality, 
If you don't go to family group, if you don't have a quiet time, if you aren't on, on a midweek, if you're not taking notes, if you're not listening to what brothers and sisters are saying and having some kind of intentional response to it, I'm going to say I'm really worried about you. All right? Because the truth of the matter is I think you're probably relying on a conversion experience that was never meant to take you through your life. All right? Discipleship is, is conversion. Okay, we, we go from death to life in baptism, and after that, we stay married through discipleship. All right? And, he, and that's one of those things. You want to know what? There's, there's been something that's kind of crept into the church over the years, which is what, what has crept in is once I get baptized, I'm good. There's no, there's no like, I can't, there's no divorce. And clearly, Paul, in all of his writings, he's writing for the very clear purpose that, no, we must follow Jesus to stay saved. You've got to stay with your spouse to stay married. All right? You can't go and be unfaithful and stay married. All right? And so I just want you to think about this is if, if your Christian experience has become attending things and taking notes and doing nothing about it, consider you, your life and your heart as a disciple. Okay, because it's not what the Bible is teaching. Okay, so I just want to really, I want us to get kind of locked in on that. Okay, so we do have this here. Have you ever tried to do something before? The, the idea of it was so great, and then you tried it, and it was so frustrating. Have you ever done that? Okay, I did that. I've done, there's been two distinct times in my life, okay? The first one was snow skiing, right? And, and, and the funny thing about it is, is I had romanticized snow skiing like, this is going to be great. You're going to go up on the mountain. There's going to be this lodge, like gingerbread lodge full of hot cocoa and a fire that you're just going to chill out at. And I'm going to go up on the slopes and just kind of like, woohoo, just come on down the slopes. It's going to be awesome. And then I went snow skiing. And I thought, well, okay, I have the romanticized version. So, you know, put the boots on, put the skis on, kind of made my way with my buddy to uh, the, the, the chairlift. And proceeded to just go straight down, right? And thought, this doesn't feel right. Like, this isn't that fun because I feel like I'm going to hit somebody. Like, the, this is frustrating to me because I want to, I want to like, you know, and, and the skis don't turn just by, like, doing that, right? <laughs> and I'm like, this is the stupidest thing in the world, right? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Because there are certain principles you have to follow to do that, right? And then we decided, well, let's try the, like, we were going down, it wasn't that fast, so we said, well, let's go up to the next level, okay? Except we got on the wrong chairlift, and it took us all the way to the top of the mountain, okay? And, and that was really scary, because it was just a pattern of, like, going and falling, or running into something to stop you, and that's what we did for about an hour and a half to get down the thing, right? And then, I, and then what I didn't realize, I don't know how it is here out in, like, Nevada, where we were, like, right on the California-Nevada border, um, like, so where the big poles that hold the ski lift up, like there's like a, like the snow goes down into that, right? And so if you, and so like I ended up, and they, luckily they have like a bat hitting that, right? And, and thinking this is the dumbest thing. And then I was like, well, let's go to the lodge. That's got to be awesome. Except like I'm wet and cold and in pain. And the hot chocolate was like out of the little machine that you hit the button. And anyway, I'm going, this is so frustrating because it's not what I envisioned, because the, here's the truth of the matter is, is, is I had this whole vision that wasn't even real, right? I, I needed help from somebody to go, no, dude, that ain't what you're supposed to do. 
Look, this is how you go. You know, I'm getting off the ski lift and just falling off the ski lift and, I mean, hurting people and all that kind of stuff. The second time that was really frustrating was I really wanted to learn how to play the guitar. Because I, I, when I watch people playing the guitar, I'm like, that dude is awesome. Like, I watch people, and they're, you know, doing all this stuff. And, and then I felt like, I'm going to pick up a guitar and just, like, you know, you can make the sound of the song, uh, strumming. No, you can't. And, and, you, and it just looks dumb. <laughs> you know? And then a friend of I was like, and, but in my mind, I had this romantic vision of how cool it would be to just, you know, rock a guitar, right? And so there was a kid in our, um, in our campus group, and I said, he could play. I said, man, teach me how to play. And he started teaching me, man, and I thought my fingertips fell off. <laughs> I'm like, this is stupid. This is not romantic at all. This isn't awesome at all. And he would say, you have to do your fingers in ways that my fingers didn't work. I'm like, how do you do and then cross your hand over and just to make this one sound? And then I'm supposed to, like, change them again? And I was like, I'm done with this. I am so frustrated. I just want to be good. That's oftentimes what happens. We think, I want to love. Here's the truth. I want to love like Jesus. I want to love like a disciple. I want to love in a way that is just gentle and and patient and kind and others focused and all that kind of stuff. But then we just kind of go and go. What I need to do is just kind of go and live my life and try to do that. And then it becomes so frustrating because life hasn't really changed. And then we read about how, hold on, love actually changes people. Like, how is that? Because we're kind of like I was on the ski slopes where it's like, I'm just going to kind of do the best I know how to do in the way I know how to do it. And then we're just like barreling down the slopes, hurting people as we go. Instead of going, hold on a minute, you want to know what? The intervention is the word of God. That should shock us into what we're doing. It should be somebody pulling me off the ski slopes going, no, you don't understand anything about skiing. Like, let me help you do this, okay? Let me help you so you don't become frustrated, all right? And I do, I think there can be a low level of frustration that happens among disciples because we're trying to love people the way we always learned how to love people in the world. We just try to do it in a Christian way, okay? And then so we have this love is patient and love is kind and we know we have to do this. But then it goes into what love isn't, right? Let's read that. 1 Corinthians 13 So we have love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy, love is not boastful, love is not conceited, love does not act improperly, love is not selfish, is not provoked, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Some of your version might say love doesn't envy or boast, it isn't proud, it doesn't dishonor, it's not self-seeking, it doesn't keep, it, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, it's not easily angered, Okay. Here's the interesting thing is, is it's really difficult if you go through every single one of those. I'm going to work on this one today because we're going to kind of miss the boat right there. I'm going to work on this one thing. All right. There's, there's a picture being painted here. All right. This isn't like an Excel spreadsheet. It really isn't. This is painting a picture. Hey, here's what love is. Can you picture it? Like the, the Bible is less an Excel spreadsheet and more like this beautiful work of art. And there's this picture being painted. And there's this huge, just amazing picture of God and his love and his reconciling works in us. And he's saying, here's the thing. I want you to picture kindness and patience. I want you to picture, though, 
Not envying, okay? Envying is this. There's the crazy thing. I want what you want. And the, there's one word that matters more than any, and that is I. I want what you want, or I'm not going to be happy. Have you ever done that before? Somebody gets something you don't have, and you're angry. Why'd he get a new car? Why'd they get a new bike? Why'd they get a new uh, whatever, computer? Why'd they get a boyfriend? Why'd they get a girlfriend? Why'd they get a spouse? Why'd they get a baby? Why'd they get, you know, you go on and on and on. There's, there's no limit to, to that idea of going, listen, why, that, that may be happening right now in your heart. Like where you're going, you want to know, why'd they get that? Why does he get to do that? Why do they get that house? He says, understanding the picture of love, that doesn't exist. Love isn't about what, that I want what you want. And it says love doesn't boast, right? These are so similar to one another, right? Envy is, I'm not going to be happy unless I get what you have, and, and I'm angry because you get it and I don't get it. Boasting is, this is what I have that you don't have. Look at what I have. Having comfort and security in the things that we have. Have you ever felt that before? Like you, you get something and you feel like it, this can happen with material things. This can happen with new clothes. You get a new pair of clothes, you go, I feel so much better right now. Have you ever, has that happened to you? Yeah, it's happened, right? I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm just, it's not usually a guy thing, but you know. But yeah, but you put new clothes on or new, and you're like, yes, you're right. It's, here's this idea of it's so easy to, here's what I have that you don't have. And again, the operative word is me. That, that's what love isn't. Love isn't like, look what I have and you don't have. And, and, and you've got to kind of dig through and go, hold on a minute. How many of these things are that, that I'm okay with having? It's like what Royce said. He said, how many of these things where it's like, okay, there's sin, but like I'm fighting sin with sin. Like how many of these things are just like, I'm cool with that. Because I brought my insecurity in from the world, and I'm so insecure that I want to love Jesus, and I want to follow Jesus, but I will not be radical enough to deal with my addiction to the world. Like, I still have to find security somewhere in the church. I still have to figure it out in a worldly way. I still have to find out where I'm going to be valued. And it's so interesting because he's saying, hold on a minute. Love is not about a group of people that come together to see what they can take from each other. Love is a group of people that are loving. It's John 13. John 13. It's this idea of as I've loved you, so you love one another. The church is a group of people that are coming together to give away. Like there's no love if we aren't coming together to give away. If it's like, hold on a minute, I need to get some security, and I'm going to really try really hard to give stuff away this week. It's the idea of, you know, I'll be generous when I get more. That generally doesn't work, okay? That generally doesn't work, okay? Like when you get out of college and you get your first paycheck, you remember the numbers that you saw on that paycheck? Did they amaze you? They didn't know what They erased me. I mean, when I got out of college, my first job was like I made $21,000 a year as an athletic trainer, okay? And I remember when I got that first paycheck, I was like, oh, my goodness, that is so much money. <laughs> it's all mine. You know, and you know what I said? I used to say, I was like, you know what? When I get more money, I'm going to be more generous. And then I saw that paycheck and I thought, you know what I can buy with this paycheck? 
I can buy shoes, and I can buy clothes, and I can buy cars, and I can buy, you know, all kinds of stuff. I can buy toys. I can buy CDs. I can buy, you know, yeah, man, you go to the music. I loved going to, like, the CD warehouse. <laughs> I love that junk, man. You go to Sam Goody or something. I don't know what, you, what was out here, but you'd go, and it was like, man, I, I'd go, and I wanted to load up on the cassette tapes that were singles. Like, you didn't have to fast-forward your way through the whole album. You got the single. Man, I had a car full of single cassette tapes. That was awesome. Right, exactly. But, but here's the deal. Here, here's the truth of the matter is, is, is we cannot be. There's no way that we would ever be, like, um, thought of as the church if our view is, let me go in to get something, and when I get something, then I'll give something. It's the idea of coming in and going, no, listen, we've been given more than we can ever imagine being given. What Jesus has poured into us, and then he says, you know what the church is? You come in to give away. You go to work to give away. You, you go to school to give away. All right? And this is what can become very frustrating because I think that we want, we want to Christianize worldly love. And because we do something in the church context, we think it must be God's love. Except he's saying clearly right here some of these things that you want to know what? I'll bet you all of us feel in our hearts probably more often than we're really willing to, to admit is that we just are okay with envying. And like worrying about who's getting what and why they're getting it and, and boasting about, you want to know what? When I get something, look what I have. And it makes me, you know, that's materialism even, you know. I've, look what I have that you don't have. Pride, love isn't proud, right? What, what pride is, is I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm, I'm just all around. Like, I know more than you. you. You see the word that keeps coming through is I. He said, love is not about I. Like, what I get. How I'm better. Right? Because can you imagine? I mean, think about it from the opposite perspective. Is you, if we come in... And we say, you want to know what? Um, I'm not going to be happy unless I get something. I'm not going to be happy if I find out somebody else got something. I'm not going to be happy if somebody doesn't acknowledge where I'm good at something. All right, you see the difference is, is there's, we're, we're entering into life as a disciple thinking about what we get. All right, and so this is the picture that's being painted right here. It's not self-seeking. That's just I. There's one word to describe self-seeking, I. Here's what worries me the most is, is I here you decide on this, okay? I, I just just talking to folks, examining my own heart. I, I think even decisions on a large scale are we, we've Christianized worldliness. Okay? Meaning meaning even when it comes to big decisions, or even smaller decisions, for instance, but even decisions on where I'm going to work, where I'm going to live, where I'm going to go to church, where I'm going to... Oftentimes it's like, but I want to do this. This is what I want to do. And I don't see that in the definition of love. But what we've done is, is I mean, we've, right, the, I mean, the pendulum has swung, right? Because, you know, some of you guys don't know, but probably 15 years ago, it was like, it doesn't matter what you're going to do, you're going to do what the church tells you to do. Okay? And that wasn't right. 
And then the pendulum swings to like, but this is what I want to do, and as long as there's a church I can go to, that's where I'm going. And, and that's, wrong. that's equally as wrong, right? But it feels better to our ears, doesn't it? Because how often have we made decisions and heard Jesus say no? But that's what I want. Why is it wrong? Like there's a church there. There's this no. All right. You remember, remember in Acts when Paul wanted to go and even evangelize. And he said, the spirit told me no. (laughs) And it's so amazing to me because when it's things we want to do, I've never heard Jesus say no. Have you? Seriously. It's rare. And I wonder why that is among disciples. Like, has he stopped saying no? I don't think he has, but I, I think what it is, is we've, the pendulum has swung to this place where it's like, well, because I want to do it, and because there's a place there with disciples, then that must equal yes. And you're going, hold on a minute. Paul could have made that same equation. He could have gone, hold on, I want to go to Asia. There's lost people in Asia. I have the gospel. So what, how could that be no from God? Because God knows. Because God knows. And what's interesting is, is, Certain times, especially in that moment in time, when Paul heard no, you know what's really crazy? He had a dream not long after that, right? He had a dream not long after that of a guy going, come over here from Macedonia. A guy saying, no, no, come to us, all right? And you wonder if how much, how, if the answer wasn't no, what would have happened, right? But I think that's something we've got to consider, Like, just because I want to do it, that actually is just about me. And that's Christianizing worldly love. It's going, but I'm I'm a good disciple. I study my Bible every day. I give money to the church. Like, don't I deserve to do what I want to do and how I want to do it? Jacob and Anna Claire have been reading a book. The book y'all are reading has even kind of shifted things, right? I mean, so they're reading a book that Francis Chan wrote about marriage that really isn't even about marriage, is it? What is it mostly? What, what was the, you gave a great tagline about it about a week ago. What's kind of the, you don't have to do it word for word, but what's really the book about? Um, well, the chapter that we just read that I think I was talking about was like, every decision you make should be centered around making disciples. You're like, how right. is this going to help me make disciples? And, right. In a marriage. Yeah. You, you want to have a great marriage? Be on board with the reconciling efforts of Jesus for the world. All right. But the truth of the matter is, is we can even kind of Christianize a worldly marriage. We're just like, as long as we're both disciples, we can be selfish. As long as we're both disciples, we can go and do whatever we want to do, and it doesn't matter. And I think if we opened our ears, and listen, I'm hearing this. This is, I'm giving you my thought pattern as I go through this, okay? So I'm not just like speaking at you about this. I'm really sharing this. These are the things I'm telling myself here, okay? Is, and I'm wondering, I wonder if um, I'm not more attentive, I would hear Jesus say no more. I wonder if that would happen. I think so, all right? Because when I look at what this is, this is me as an addict looking at this and going, no, 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 no. Self-seeking, love is not self-seeking. I'm not self-seeking because you know what? An addict never sees himself. And it never does. I'm not envious. I'm not boastful. I mean, seriously, watch intervention today. And, and then put ourselves in people going, hold on a minute. Dude, you are that way. No, 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 no. What's your problem? I come to church every week. I, you know, again, and you go down the whole, you know the list we would go down. If somebody, if somebody went and, and gave us just this 
intervention, okay? What would we say? I read my Bible every day. I give money. I go to family group. I go to group of three. I, I go to cross training. Now, hold on. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about discipleship in Jesus. We're not just talking about these other things here, okay? So it's all this stuff. Here's what's interesting to me. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Again, uh, Paul is addressing a, a Corinthian society that loves knowledge. Is that close to us at all? Have you been to a Barnes and Noble lately? I love, by the way, that Barnes and Noble is awesome, especially at Christmas time. I mean, they got those little junky gifts and stuff. And just like, I would love to have the abominable snowman pencil eraser or something. But, but, but you're going through Barnes and Noble, and I'm looking at it: psychology, sociology, self-help. This, and you're going through all of these books, and it's like people are making lots of money on books. I bought a little book yesterday. It was a little tiny book. It was like $20. There's lots of money, okay? We love knowledge. Here's something we're addicted to, right? You know why knowledge is so great? It's because I can know something maybe you don't know. Isn't that a great feeling? Seriously. That is one of the best feelings in the world. And it will not save you. <laughs> it won't. It's amazing. It's this idea of I can pack myself full of knowledge. And, and that's what Corinth was about. Finding a philosopher to follow. Finding a, your kind of world religion. Kind of finding your temple. Whatever it is. Finding your philosophy. And then he says, here's the deal. Is, is knowledge, you know what knowledge does? It just puffs us up. Totally the opposite of what Paul's writing to the Corinthians about what love is. He's saying you fill yourself with knowledge, and knowledge is really neutral, isn't it? I mean, to a certain degree, you've got to have some knowledge. You just can't be completely, you know, just out of the loop on things, right? But he says, here's the deal is, here's what love does. It builds up. He said, it builds up. That's how you know. That's how you know. So you go through it and say, it's not envious. It's not this. It's not that. It's not. Okay, here's the test, though. Do I build up or break down? There's no way I'm building up the person I'm envious of. No way. There's no way. You get something I want, and I'm just pouting about it. I'm not building you up. We had years and years ago. This is a long time ago. Um, yeah, man, we had a sister in the congregation that, um, that got engaged. Man, I thought we were going to have a fist fight in the congregation. Because it was like, I'm not having that. They were angry because somebody got something they wanted. Breaking down. There's no way. Like, that's the deal is, is if, if our lives aren't cate- or characterized by who am I building up? I can't build up the person I'm envious of. I can't build up the person I'm boasting to. I, I can't build them up because I see them as small and insignificant. I can't build up the person that when I'm self-seeking because how can I possibly know how to build up Murphy if all I'm worried about is me? It's impossible, right? And this is what, here's what I've learned and I think you have as well, is when I, the more I worry about me, that is tiring. That is exhausting, all right? 
I feel like that may be one of the most exhausting things we do is worry about me and worry about me and what I'm getting and how I'm not getting something and all of those things and going, whoa. And then at the end of the day, I'm going, I don't have time to build others up. I think we have time. I don't think we have energy because we're exhausted from thinking about ourselves. Okay. But here's the other thing. Okay. This is the, this is the side of it where as I was looking, I'm going, hold on a minute. Let me scrape away at this addiction. Okay, let me scrape away at my own addiction to Christianized worldly love here, okay? And I looked at Luke chapter 4, and it's really interesting here is that when Jesus started his ministry, this is what he said. I love this right here because it was one of those, you, you read a section, you've done this before. You read a section and you're like, you feel it, and it's like we know enough not to try to go against it, but we try to justify what it means. Have you done that before? Like, no, it couldn't mean that. No, 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 it couldn't. Love your enemies, but, you know, what about the, you know, no, no, no. And we we try to, like, again, Christianize our worldly definition of things, okay? Here's what I looked at. Luke chapter 4, verse uh, 18, okay? Jesus comes in. uh, This is awesome. In the synagogue, he says, hey, here's the deal. He's reading from Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's interesting. Almost none of those people in that list can give Jesus anything. And I wonder, and if you're like me, how often we go and try to love others and, and, they, and, and they can't, like there's that really hard thing to see that I can get something from them. How many people in our lives are we building up and loving that we know cannot give us a thing back? Yeah. That's, what, that's who Jesus said he went to. He said, I went to the poor, okay? And then our justification is what? Well, he means like the poor in spirit. Like he can't possibly mean the poor. I think he means the poor. I think it means going and he said, I'm going to give people something and I can't get anything from them in return. The oppressed. The marginalized. I'm going to people who can't give back to me. And I wonder how many people we talk to on a regular basis that can't possibly give us a thing back. I mean, are we even in connection with people like that? And, and I think that's the, that's the part of it, because when I start like trying to fit this into like, okay, I'm going to do my best to not Christianize worldly love, so I'm going to love my brothers sitting here in this room and sisters, and I'm going to really work on that and really, really work hard that my motive is not taking something from them and going, okay, that, that's great, that's excellent, but maybe what we need to do is go out into the world and find people who literally cannot give us anything back. And that's the side of it to me. I'm going, I don't, like, that doesn't seem as fun to me. <laughs> that, that doesn't seem like I want to, I, I want to love and build up the people who are comfortable for me to do that with. I, I want to do that, right? And that's not, these words of Jesus, what he said right here, he says, man, I'm helping people who, they may not even ever want to follow me. He helped 10 lepers. 90% of them didn't even want to follow him. 
See, you see, that's the other interesting thing is, see, loving others, okay, now brace yourself for this. Loving others is not a church growth strategy. I want you to think about that, okay? Loving people is God's method to help people become disciples. But love is not a church growth strategy. Does that make sense? Meaning, like, it's not that idea of, okay, I'm going to start loving now, and then you'll become a disciple. That's church growth strategy. Love, what he's talking about is, I'm going to love you, and I don't care if you never become a disciple. Well, I mean, we care, right? I understand that. But it's the idea of it's not contingent on that. Right? It's not contingent on that. It's the idea, I'm loving you, not because it's a strategy, but because it's who Jesus was. And how many people did he come in contact with, do you think, in four years that never followed him ever? And we see him just giving and giving and giving. I mean, talk about vulnerability. Talk about just sacrifice. Talk about just, I mean, that's the worst church growth strategy I've ever heard. Because <laughs> you're going, Jesus, you, you know who is. Why, why don't you maximize your time on the people that are? Uh, why don't you, you know, that guy, he's not even going to, you know, send him away. Right? I mean, your sin is probably, you deserve it anyway. But I think we need to go back to this right here. I really, if we're going to love well, and we're going to look at this, this list seriously as, as addicts to the world's view of love, of dealing with how we're going to deal with envy and boasting and pride and self-seeking and all these things is we must pray to God that he injects us into the lives and the world of people that can give us nothing back. And that our mindset is that even if it is somebody that can give back. Like, I want nothing from you. I think that's the thing. Is it, and here's the intentionality, okay? I mean, this is, this is the intentional kind of takeaway. Is the, the goal isn't now is like to put the heat-seeking missile on like finding the marginalized right now. Okay, I'm going to go tomorrow. Who's, who is it? And who's it? Listen, sometimes you can't tell by looking. But here's the thing that we see Jesus doing all the time, man. I'm going to a town. I'm going to start talking to people. There's no way we, there's no way that we can like strategically like heat seeking missile like like smart bomb right in it's the idea of a work of Jesus inside of us as we go out and share our faith with people. And that means talking to a lot of people that we normally don't talk to. That means raising our eyes up and seeing people we don't normally see. And it's the idea of I know you have homework. But it's not more important than this. I understand that life is busy, all right? But that becomes such a crutch for us not to do this, all right? And it's the idea, no, I don't have time, I don't have this. Just raise your eyes up and listen, get in there. How many folks, I mean, that's just really the intentional thing is, am, am I going to go out of my way to talk to, meet people, pray with people that I see each and every day? You know, as we said before, as we talked about last week, there isn't anything the world responds to more than thoughtful kindness. Like when you remember a name and you remember a family situation and you remember somebody that they might see you once a month even that's moving to people because we want to be remembered. We want to remember that Jesus remembers us. Okay? And so that's the takeaway. How many folks am I living by right now?
How many people do I see in class every day? And it, it doesn't matter that there's one week left in school. It, it doesn't matter. They may be leaving, but they're graduating. They're not going to be here. It, it doesn't matter because the truth of the matter is, is they don't have to take a six-month course to become a disciple. And sometimes we kind of throw, the, throw it in. Well, there's only a week left. There's no big deal. I'm just kind of going to do my thing. Instead of this idea of, as, as Royce brought up too, is this idea of waking up and going, man, I'm going out my door to give away what Jesus has given me, to love that way. And I may get, and very well get nothing in return. But why that's okay is because that's where we get in touch with how much Jesus has given me in you. Isn't it amazing how all of this is so cyclical when you add gratitude into it? Like once you add gratitude into this, it's like, oh, I remember all these things and the tank is full and then we go and give away. And he's saying, then be grateful and you remember all these things and then you give away. This is what love is, right? But seriously, I think we're going to have to do a lot of praying and fasting. I know I am to really come to terms with what is my, and here's the other thing about this. We got to talk with brothers and sisters about this, man. Like having the, you, you, I don't know how many of y'all have done this. I know some of y'all, this was just kind of a regular thing of sitting down. Y'all tell me what you see. <laughs> like, tell me what you see going on in my life. Because here, I'm telling you, I watched a single episode of Intervention. I'm like, whoa, like that person doesn't even see that they're killing themselves. And so going out, opening our mouths, talking, giving away. I, I love that when Peter and John were going into the temple, the guy was begging. And they said, we don't have any money, but we got something. That may be what happens. He goes, I have my, well, I don't have any money, but I have something to give you. Man, come and sit down, and let, or let's go have a meal together, or let's see the difference. That is so much more proactively loving like Jesus did rather than trying to fit it into our own world. Does that make sense? So, this is the picture of my mind. I keep picturing myself doing this like the snow skier, Keith, and the guitar playing, Keith. (laughs) Okay, and what that reminds me of is exactly what I just said, is this idea of, man, we need help uh, by God through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, and through helping one another. So...